This is a crowd podcast. Hello, I'm Geraint Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift, the indoor cycling app. Jump on your smart trainer and jump into Zwift. Kreuzer, or welcome. Tom, we're back. Geraint, we are. And bonfire night has just been and gone. You are still just about in your off-season frenzy. So I think there must be tales of a big bonfire party at the Thomas household. Yeah, so basically with Max, my son, niece and nephew, Jack and Al, we're going to have a combined Halloween bonfire party. So it was going to be up at the in-laws' house. But before it, I was like, right, so we need to get some big rockets over there. So went to the local backstreet shop. Oh, the classic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Got some fireworks. He even actually sent his son to the van to get some. <laughs> so they are literally out the back of a van, these fireworks. <laughs> but they were the size of my head. Whoa. And um, it's a big head. Not as big as yours, yeah, but it's true. a big head, Yeah, which we come to learn when we were down in Monaco. So yeah, anyway, I had these massive rockets and then we're chatting to Beth and Ave like the day before this party. And they're like, oh yeah, it's really good. We found this website where... We could get silent ones because of the sheep. Like they've just been silent. Yeah, because he's like he thinks himself as a farmer now, does Ave? Because one of the rams from the sh- the farm next door basically sold for twenty six grand for a sheep. Pounds. Pounds. Yeah. yeah. Is, what is this ram? Can it fly? <laughs> I don't know. Apparently, it's just oh, it's just the way he looks, the way he stands. You know, his structure. Is that a like, sheep? Mate, it's Wales. <laughs> anyway, so this ram had run one through one of Ave's <laughs> sheep. So. He's oh, maybe I can't say that. I think that's fine. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he's got big aspirations for what comes out of this U. So, uh, not you, the U. I was going to say, he's left it too late with me. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, so he's like, oh, we couldn't have loud fireworks because it'll scare the sheep. And especially seeing they've just been, what's it called, inseminated? Is that Potentially. What the proper word is. Yeah. So, you know, doesn't want them, yeah, whatever, startling them. So, um, me and Sarah were just looking at each other like, oh, what are we going to do with these four massive rockets we got? So I was like, oh, I've got to tell them because I want to get my money's worth out of this and I'm just going to sit in our house for, well, till the sheep die. So um, we told them and then we had to relocate to our house and um, it was a great, these these rockets, I've got a few, I'll have to send you a video, Tom, but they are, as the guy who was selling them to us said, epic. Right, talk me through it. I'm, I'm going to give you three categories. I'm going to give you height the firework achieves, uh, noise when firework explodes, and number of different colours raining down from the heavens. So, so there was a pack of three, one of them, and they all went pretty high. I wouldn't have wanted to... If we heard a helicopter, we would have laid off, put it that way. <laughs> we would have waited till it was far away. And, yeah, they were good. They were a bit like... It was like we were at a proper show, to be fair. It wasn't like... Um, you know, down the London Eye New Year's Eve, anything like that, but maybe Barry Island on New Year's <laughs> Eve. It was, uh, it was, it was, they were quality. Four w- rockets well spent, but um, it was quite um, daunting, the right word, but because, you know, it says like stand 25 meters away, we were about seven and a half, and like knocking the thing into the ground, you know, that, that holds the rocket. I had to make sure that was pretty deep because we didn't want it like toppling over because it was pretty heavy, but yeah, a good bit of jeopardy, and um, that was a great night kids played some Halloween games and stuff as well so I was quality and then uh, a couple of days later we went to the cricket nets oh at Sapphire Gardens yeah 
yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was just getting them to shoot them down at me. Like I think the fastest one was a couple of ninety mile an hour balls. Yeah, that's quick. Oh, it was. I was absolutely nowhere near it, but I was like just swinging. But no, that was great fun. Like I think around sixty, sixty-five was kind of a good speed for me to to actually hit it. There's a good bit of jeopardy in that as well, isn't it? Because those balls are hard. Where did you get them? Because with bowling machines, you can obviously aim them. 90 mile an hour one, I'm assuming you weren't asking it for to be aimed at your face or even the top of off stump, <laughs> but somewhere outside off stump so you could just waft at it. Yeah, the, the boys were looking after me, to be honest. They were staying as far away from the money makers as possible. My leg size. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was... Uh, yeah, I was just up for it. Like, come on, just fire them down. Probably because I haven't been hit by one yet. I'm a bit like these kids now racing in the peloton, you know? They haven't really crashed too much, so they're just going wild. Innocent. Exactly, yeah. They don't know what it's like to actually get hurt, as I don't know what it's like to be hit by a ball at 90 mile an hour, cricket ball. But um, Reese, my brother-in-law, got it on the toe. Oh. He had a massive bruise, actually, from... He had done it a couple of weeks ago. And it was, the bruise was still hanging around. But yeah, that was that was great. And then from there, we went to... I don't know if you've been before, but Flight Club is called. Oh, the darts. Yeah, that was great as well. So You any good? No, not really. <laughs> I'm all right, I, I, but there was this one guy, Tom, started calling him Tim. I don't know why, it just came out. Auto-corrected. Yeah, but he um, he was good, like annoyingly good. You know, we'd just step up and like boom, boom. And like, you know, one of the games, like killer. Mm. So basically you have to hit your own a couple of times and then you become a killer. And if you hit somebody else's, they're out. And yeah, you like to kill me a few times, bastard. So I'm going to buy a dartboard now. Next time we go, I'm going to absolutely wipe the floor with him. Did you give yourself a dart player nickname? Didn't actually, no. No, I was just, well, my name was Gare on the thing. Disappointing. It's a bit like um, bowling, isn't it? Where you write your names take a little photo but yeah but what would a good name for me be depend well it depends how good you are doesn't it i mean you need some sort of nickname that has menace but also comedy bearing in mind that you survived a rocket that could make a, a you conceive <laughs> i think you'd have to i think it had to be garrett the ram thomas <laughs> yeah okay ram thomas um shall we get a guest on garrett yeah let's do it and this is when we actually recorded a few weeks ago when you were down with me in monaco it's a little chat in the sunshine over breakfast with an Aussie. Gee, I am delighted to announce that we have got Momentus back on board as a sponsor for Series 3 of the GTCC. Momentus, a little bit like you, G, are dedicated to optimising both the mind and body and they're leading the way for high-performance seekers at all levels. Right, so for those not familiar with Momentus, G, tell us all about their flagship product. Yeah, so PR lotion is something I've used on my body for years, Tom. It basically delivers bicarb directly to your muscles via your skin and bypasses the gut, which I don't know if you've ever drunk bicarb, Tom, but that's a big plus. The best time to use it, I find, is an hour and a half before your workout on Zwift or out on the road or whatever you're doing. And it's not too sticky either. It doesn't get stuck in your hairs if you've forgotten to shave. And it definitely helps me train harder. All of this is true, G. It is actually scientifically proven to improve performance and decrease muscle soreness and helps you make all those training goals. If you want to get your hands on some PR lotion, Momentus are giving GTCC members, that's you listening right now, yes you, 25% off. Give them the code, G. Just head over to PRLotion.com and use the code GTCC2022 to get 25% off today. Enjoy. D 
Did you know that bananas are bad for monkeys? Did you know about all the pubs in the Houses of Parliament? Do you know how to make a curry in space? It's mind-blowing, but don't take our word for it. We've got a podcast that interviews zookeepers, politicians, astronauts, and everyone in between. And if you want hilarious stories and to learn about the weird and wonderful people of the world, then you should go and listen to our show, Things People Do, with me, Joe Marler. And me, Tom Fordyce. Search for Things People Do wherever you get your podcasts. Our guest today has won multiple stages at all three Grand Tours. He's won the green jersey at the Tour. He's a sprinter who can certainly climb. Well, actually, ask him if he classes himself as a sprinter now. But uh, And I think he's probably got the flashiest nickname in cycling. Welcome to the GTCC, Michael Matthews, a.k.a. Bling. Thanks very much, G. Appreciate it being here. Thanks for coming. It's not a bad... I think this is the best venue we've ever had, Tom, for a pod. Sh- should we describe it, G? So it is... Um about half past nine in the morning, it is a lovely sunny day on the beach in Monaco. There's palm trees, um, there's a beach, there's people swimming off the beach, swimming out to a platform. The water looks delightful. The coffee is good. The croissant was excellent. Um, should we just keep recording pods in these circumstances for the so, rest yeah. of the series? Yeah. As I was saying, it's the first croissant I've had for years. And now I've no, just realised what I've been missing. That was bloody good, wasn't it? Dangerous game for you. Yeah, it is, yeah. But, you know, I can, I'll make the most of it now because by the time I get going again, I'll be uh, back on the salad and fish. But anyway, Bling, uh, thanks for coming. Big fan of the pod, aren't you? I am, um, especially on my long drives. When, I, when I'm driving to Livigno on my training camps, it's around a seven-hour drive. So, yeah, when I'm doing my long drives, it's definitely nice to and interesting to hear you guys talk. I mean, there's some, some people that have a voice for it and uh, definitely you, you two have that voice. You were looking at Tom then when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to be polite to Garrett just because you're on his pod, Michael. Uh, no, no, no. Honestly, um, I don't listen to many podcasts. I'm not really into it that much, but um, definitely I, I, I like I like hear, listening to you guys. Cheers, mate. Thanks for coming. You can come again. <laughs> but uh, going, starting at the beginning, Tom, a good place to start? Yeah, I w- actually, I'd like to know when you two first met, because you always seem from the outside like you are, there's similarities in your in your character. You remember the first time you got together, the first time you raced against each other? Yeah, I, th- I remember um, it was Tour Down Under. Well, this is my first memory of racing against you. Oh, it must have been, because I think you were Neo Pro, first year pro, obviously Tour Down Under, first race of the year, and Bling won the stage into Stirling, which is always a tough stage. So basically you do laps up in Stirling, maybe three laps. It's always up and down. It's not as hot as down in the city, but it's still, you know, plus 30 degrees. And this day, I, I remember suffering round Bling had won under 23 Worlds previous year. So we obviously knew about him then. That's the first time I heard about him. Because obviously the Brits and the Aussies are always quite close. You know, you're always sort of watching what each other are doing. And yeah, that stage, I just remember him winning that. Pissed it really, didn't you? From what <laughs> I remember. Uh, yeah, I was <laughs> honestly a bit shocked myself. We had, the, we had the national championships like a week before. And I actually didn't even finish. I think I came in a little bit too hot and was uh, a bit too hot-headed. And the nationals, but then um, yeah, came to the Twin and Under, and it was a stage that everyone sort of said would be good for me. I didn't really know too much about it, but yeah, when I came across the finish line and sort of turned around to turn around and see the guys that I actually beat in that sprint was for me, yeah, a very special day. Yeah, because at that point, from then that was 2011. Obviously, the next sort of 10 years, you've been that type of rider, hard sprint, you know, fast, get over climbs. Just a bit of a bastard that Sargon <laughs> is also around at that period, you know, one of the one of the best of the sport. 
Yeah, that's basically the story of my career so far. <laughs> um, always some, somehow being second to him. But, um, I mean, yeah, he's obviously, in, in his prime, he was, yeah, obviously the best in the world, three-time world champion. And I was second and third to him each time, which, yeah, is unfortunate. But uh, for me to come from where I was to, to where I am now, I'm also very happy. I remember that stage, Tom. Remember 20, when did you win the stage, your first stage of the tour? Sagan was in the break as well, I think. We started in Andorra, yeah. big, long 20K climb. I remember just thinking, I remember Sagan that day was going with every attack. And I was just thinking, mate, like, this guy is insane. But then I remember seeing Bling go towards the top. Did, did you go after, like, the break had kind of formed and you went last minute? Um, I think there was maybe two, like, uh, yeah, maybe a group of, like, two or three guys. And then I went across, I think, with Nibali. Yeah. Nibali attacked, like, just over the top, or just towards the top. And I went with him, and then we railed the descent um, and, and caught, caught cloudy, wasn't it? Loads yeah. of fog and yeah. yeah. And I had no idea where I was going, but I was guessing he knew what he was doing, <laughs> so I just followed him uh, blindly, and somehow made it to the bottom. It was freaking scary, but uh, yeah, we made it somehow. That must have been good for morale as well, being able to follow Nibbly over the top of a climb like that. Yeah, it was it was a day after the rest day, so it was all, it's always yeah, a bit touch and go as as you know mm-hmm. uh, from doing a lot of grand tours. You're not really sure how you're feeling, and to, to start up a 20k climb the day after a rest day is always, yeah, you're either really on or really off. So, I had a really good rest day that day. I was actually, <laughs> funny story, uh, all my teammates were going out for an easy ride, a coffee ride, and I was actually in the bathroom uh, with my home trainer sweating to try and uh, sweat out the fluids because I knew what start we had the next day. So, I was really keen for that stage. Did you always know, Michael, what sort of rider you wanted to be and what sort of rider you were going to be? I think I always knew what sort of rider I wanted to be, but I kept getting pigeonholed into this sprinter. And yeah, I mean, it's all about wins when you when when you're when it's your, when it's your job. So, I mean, to get more wins or more opportunities to do to have wins, uh, a sprinter is probably the better way to go. But um, yeah, I knew, always knew that I, I when I was training as a kid, like when we were riding together as friends, when I first started, we were just attacking each other all day, and that's what made me happy and to be able to do that this year um and show that it was really nice but um yeah for my the majority of my career i've been pigeonholed into being a sprinter which i'm not actually that fast but uh i i can i can seem to get through climbs and still have a good sprint in the finish you're quite a bit faster than me though mate i'd say i'd say you're fast <laughs> I, I wouldn't consider you a sprinter though <laughs> no <laughs> neither would i but when you're saying you're not fast like Okay, I get what you mean now. Compared to other sprinters, you wouldn't be, yeah, be your fresher coming into the finals, I guess, yeah. Yeah, I think these guys just have this really high peak power and really fast twitch fibers. And I seem to be able to have a better kick at the end of a hard race. But if it's an easy race, that's where the sprinters really shine. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the perfect stage for you then, because we we, will talk about some of your stage wins and particularly what happened at the Tour this year, Michael. But if you were to design the, maybe the perfect finale for a stage for you as a rider, what would it be? Yeah, typical and typically an up, uphill sprint. Most of my nice wins have been slightly uphill sprints, maybe even quite steep. So yeah, like sort of rolling stage to really take the take the sting out of the real sprinters, but still have them there in the finish, and then have an uphill sprint to really uh, finish them off. It's funny, isn't it, G? Because people from the outside do categorise certain riders as sprinters, but within that category of sprinters, there are so many different sorts of sprinters who will like different yeah. conditions and have different attributes. Yeah, for sure. Because um, you know, you got the kind of the pure sprinters like Caleb Ewan, Sam Bennett, you know, those types. Cav, 
And then you kind of got the guys like Sargon and Bling who are able to climb, but also fast, faster than me. But then also you, you kind of have then like a GC guy that can also sprint. So like a Valverde, like you wouldn't class him as a sprinter as such. Well, you wouldn't. He's won. A, does he win a Grand Tour? I think he has. But then he's also super fast at the end of a long stage like that. So, yeah, I guess with guys like Sargon and, and Bling, it's kind of like they can compete for those like Champs-Élysées stages, pure sprinter days. But then they can also compete against Valverde in, you know, middle of Spain somewhere up some random climb. So at least you're in there with the opportunities. But yeah, it's kind of it's a very broad uh, spectrum in there. Yeah, I'm not sure what you sort of consider us. I guess punchers. Maybe. Yeah, Alaphilippe, I guess, would be in that. Yeah, even even Tade. I mean, yeah. he's he's winning sprints too, not not bunch sprints. After hard stages, he's he's also there. So, yeah, I think pigeonholing riders like us into a certain a certain area of cycling is almost impossible. I mean, I think we just we're just racers. Yeah, I guess you can just consider us racers because whatever. Whatever finish it is, we'll try. I think that's that's just what a pure racer is categorized. That must as. be annoying with Pogaccia, though, eh? Like this year in the tour, <laughs> what was it stage? Like six, Tom, where it was, was it long wheel? Or long? Yeah. And oh, I remember I just dropped the wheel because I couldn't hold the wheel in the sprint. And then you guys are sprinting for the win. And to have someone like Pogaccia, were you second that day? Yeah, like to beat there, you must be like, mate, just sod off, like leave this stage <laughs> for me and you try and win the tour. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's what I was sort of thinking. I'm like, well, it's three weeks long. You're going for the yellow. I'm just going for stages. I mean, I was thinking that he would maybe save his energy a little bit, but it, it's Tade. Yeah. Any finish he sees, he's going to go for it. And I think he did that for basically 21 days this year in the tour. So, yeah, he's, we're, we're, yeah, I guess you consider us, we're just, we're just racers. Whenever you see a finish that you can possibly win, you're going to go for it. And I think that's full credit to him not to just sit back when uh, there is an opportunity to win a race, whether it's for his team or for himself, but uh, nah, he's just he's just a racer, and I would rather him not be there to contest for it. I'd rather him sit back and uh, yeah, save his energy for 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 going for the overall GC. But he's already won it twice, two years in a row. So I mean, I think yeah, whether he wins it again, I think he'd rather put on a good show and have fun more than uh, put it all on the line just for the GC. Yeah. To be fair, if I had his legs, Tom, I'd be going for as many Every stages. single day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a really nice distinction, though, just thinking of a rider as a racer, because that must feel like it taps back into why you enjoyed racing bikes in the first place as a kid. Because when you're a kid, you just you race every climb, don't you? And you race your mates off traffic lights, and you know, it's quite a pure way of riding your bike. Yeah, 100%. I think that's why, we all, that's why we all did it when we were kids, because it was fun. I mean, going back to that again, I mean, I, I spoke a lot about my, my season this year. Everyone was asking me what I changed to be up there again with the, with the wins and, and the results. And I mean, I look back just to this off-season and this year, just going back to having fun, riding with friends, attacking each other and not, not taking it too serious. And I think that's something that we forget when we're pro for a long time is just to enjoy it like we used to as, as, as kids. And I think that's something that's mi- that gets a, bit, a little bit lost uh, when you're a professional cyclist for a long time. Yeah, I think, um, did it annoy you when people are like, oh, you're back as such? Because like, when people were telling me, oh, yeah, you're back, G, but I was like, mate, I've never been away. Mm. <laughs> I've had a bit of a, you know, not the best time, but last year wasn't that bad. Like, the tour was shit, but... You know, I was I had my best run into the tour at that point, but when people are kind of like basically written you off, like purely because you have a not an average year, because especially someone like you as well, you got high expectations, been winning 
every year you must have a good few wins. So is that annoying or is it kind of just like, just yeah, whatever? I mean, I don't, I don't really read the news. I, I never, I never listen to uh, to any or read any news on Twitter or anything. I mean, it is sometimes nice to hear because then it's like people recognize what you're doing mm. um, and they sort of see what you were doing before and what you're doing now. I mean, I try and take everything that everyone says as, as a positive. When people say, "Oh, you got this pressure on you for this race," or "You've been." bad at this race I say okay I understand that and I put for, I go forward with it the margins are so fine at the elite level aren't they Michael so thinking about the tour this year that stage that you've just referenced G where where Pog gets the jump watching you in that one and I don't know how much of your reaction as you cross the line reflects how you feel about it now but it looked like as you cross the line your head's gone down because there's that instantaneous reaction of I was really really close and I didn't quite get it yeah, I mean, I think in that moment, it was probably more frustration myself um, because I knew I messed up. Um, not, the, not the sprint itself, but the positioning for the sprint. I mean, I think Roglic went from about 500 out, which surprised me on an uphill sprint. I'm not sure where he, he thought he was going. But um, then it brought a lot of other guys around, so I got boxed back from, from Tade's wheel and I had to make a lot of effort to get out again to to start my sprint and I was coming back at today but obviously the finish line is the finish line so I mean the gap was still quite big and I just knew that I missed an opportunity I think that was the sort of frustration and then after that I mean if someone's going to beat me and it's today it's it's not so bad <laughs> well about a couple of days later then as well because it was Lausanne and I was surprised how hard that finish was we obviously knew it and when I was doing it I was like oh I remember this I was like bloody hell it's, it was solid wasn't it and then, okay, you beat Pog, Pogacar, but then Van Aert steps up and Van Aert pips you to the line. By that point, what was it? At least, I guess, you know how racing's changed this year, especially, like, didn't seem to be as many breakaways. Even though there wasn't Sagan in his prime, you'd always be like, oh, Bora or whoever would bring it back. But this year, just, it was crazy, wasn't it? It was only three real bunch sprints. I guess that's that's the course they, they laid out for us yeah. this year. I think maybe... Yeah, maybe those stages are boring for people. I'm not sure. I, I don't. I don't. I don't make the course for the tour. But I mean, yeah, that was. Was there three sprints? I think. Yeah, I think, uh, so, I think yeah. Dylan won one. Fabio won one. And maybe Philipson. Yeah, Philipson won the one into Carcassonne. So I mean, I think another one could have been a bunch sprint, but uh, breakaway stayed away. But yeah, for me, getting beaten by Walt in that sprint. I mean, I think Walt was pretty spectacular this year in the tour. Unbelievable. I think. Yeah. Not just in his sprint, but winning time trials, climbing with the best on pure mountain days. So, I mean, I saw him being a little bit blocked on the left barrier. Then I was like, okay, now's my moment. And I went for it. I must admit, my sprinting wasn't very good in the tour this year. Uh, I wasn't really focusing on it, which I knew because we had Dylan Grunewagen going for the flat sprint. So I didn't really need to think about them too much. So I knew my sprint wasn't perfect, but I saw the jump that I could uh, try and take on him. So I took it and yeah. He was able to step out and step around all of us. So, I mean, the opportunity was there. I went for it and came up second best. So that was my second frustration of the tour. Was there any thought at that point of thinking, oh, maybe it's not going to be my year? Two second place in three days. And like you said, there's not a super load of stages in in the 2022 tour that you might target. How do you keep your head up in those situations? Well, I actually said straight after an interview, I said, I've been two times second now. Well, let's go for third time lucky and uh, the third time it actually worked out but actually 
yeah, my, my daughter is quite into cycling. She, she loves watching me on the TV and she loves to see me win. But uh, when I was two times second, I tried to call her after the stage to just yeah, check in how everything's going and she wouldn't talk on the phone. And I was thinking, what's wrong? And my wife was saying, yeah, it's, now's not a good time. What if you call later? And I was like, what, what's wrong? What's up? Is she okay or is she sick? Or She said, no, no, she's really emotional. She was crying oh. after the stage because, because you didn't win. And I said, was she crying because I didn't win or crying because I was so close? And she said, I don't know, but she's really, really emotional. What if we just call later? And that really hit me hard. And uh, that next opportunity that I got, I knew I was going to make sure I delivered. And nice. uh, I actually said to my wife in the morning, I'm going to win today. Did you? Yeah. Let's do a deep dive then into that stage. So, G, can you describe so that the finish in Mond... It's such a weird stage because you've got a really decent climb. It's about, what, three and a half K? That, that, Brutal. That cl- yeah. yeah. Then you've got the airstrip at the top. So for you guys as riders, that seems one of those stages where pretty much any sort of rider could potentially win. Yeah, I'd say it'd be taking a breakaway out of it. It's a, it's a GC day. Like, the climb is that hard. And it, it proved to be that. Like, Pogaccia and Vingegaard were off the road, up the road from us. And then I was in a group of maybe two or three of us. And then there was another two behind. And so it was a brutally steep climb and uh yeah it's maybe average 10 percent, i think and the crowd is boisterous should we Quite say a narrow road in it as well the climb yeah, yeah and they painted it this year which was a bit annoying it was a bit slippery in patches but um i remember like a few years ago when uh sky we were getting a bit of abuse because of you know a few of the things around through me and because he was so dominant a bit of pantomime but you know we weren't necessarily liked as much and um that was the worst stage actually was like it? they were properly like yeah aggressive and you know really like you know when they part because i don't think they had barriers back then like all the way up the climb and then they just part in front of you like you know moses was it moses who did that in the, the red sea? sea yeah as the saying goes or whatever it's not a saying is it it's in the bible whatever <laughs> happens we can edit that but yeah it was like yeah that was like wow that was the first time i was like felt a little bit like vulnerable you know but uh so i always know it's a there's a good atmosphere there and uh it's one of those stages where i wouldn't say i look forward to it because i hate that climb but it is a, a a good finish and as you say you know that it tops out it's still maybe a k to go at the top or maybe a bit less okay you have a little downhill you have like a little chicane like a sweeping right sweeping left then maybe 300 odd maybe a little bit more slightly drags up to the finish so yeah and then bling was got himself in the breakaway and uh well i'm sure you can take it from here mate yeah, I think what was it? Like it's like almost like a twenty k uphill start too, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Well, every start seemed really hard this year, actually. Yeah. But yeah, it took a while for that breakaway to go. I think because also, like like you said, it suited a lot of guys actually. So I think everyone thought this is probably my last shot to win a stage in this tour. I think after that, it was all all hard, really really hard stages, yeah. like mountain stages. So that also puts it down to a very small group of guys that can win. So this was like probably the last opportunity for, for, for the majority of the peloton to to win a stage. And I remember it was just bonkers from the start. From kilometer zero, it was uphill. And even Tade was jumping. Vingegaard was jumping. Uh, Wout was jumping. It was just madness. I think I also said after like, yeah, 20 minutes, 30 minutes of racing to Wout, like, you guys have the yellow. What what do you actually want? Which breakaway <laughs> do you want to go? Because I don't want to continue wasting my energy. If you're not going to let one go or you want to put uh, yourself in it or just just let me know, you know. 
And he said, yeah, we just want something to go. And I said, well, please just stop jumping then. I mean, just let something go. I mean, now yeah. you say that it took like it was well over an hour, wasn't it, for yeah, that breakaway yeah. to go? I remember looking around. There's maybe forty guys left, and we were still racing for. I was thinking, blimey, like I'm glad I feel like good in this race because there must have been a brutal race to do if you didn't have the legs because it was such a hard start. It must have been hour fifteen or more. Like generally, a break would go in the first half hour, so this was like a yeah. Oh, now now you start talking about. It, I remember it vividly. Yeah. <laughs> And those roads too were like real bumpy, like dead roads too, eh? Like you try and put the power down and you just get nowhere. I mean, and I I, I think, like like you said, once the brake went, the peloton almost just split in half because it was whoever whoever was left in the peloton sort of rode away and the GC guys and the helpers sort of were behind in the peloton. But I actually missed the original breakaway because I was jumping so much with all the moves. One went... And I sort of looked around like, is the peloton happy with this? And then I went straight away after that. So the, the breakaway was maybe 200 meters up the road and I was able to uh, jump and ride across luckily. So that was uh, <laughs> that was a little bit lucky. So at what point in that stage, Michael, are you plotting? At what stage are you working out your best scenario to attack? Well, it wasn't a very good scenario in the first place. I think it was 23 riders and I was actually my own, the only rider from my team in the breakaway, which... If you add those nut, those those odds up, it's not not very good. So, I already had my DS on the radio, Matt Heyman, talking to me about my options basically from once I got into the breakaway, and we were looking around and we were thinking, there's some very good climbers in here, and I'm not a pure climber. Like G said, it was three and a half k at ten percent sections of I think sixteen percent. Yeah, yeah, really, and and brutally hot, and I think it was like two hundred and twenty, two hundred and ten k stage yeah. or something. Yeah. So, lovely yeah. day, great yeah. day. <laughs> Trying, <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of guys in the peloton said it was the worst day of the Tour de France, like hardest day of the Tour de France, because we were also riding quite fast, eh, in the break, and you guys oh, were a little yeah. bit worried because there were some guys that could move up quite a quite a fair way on GC, because there was quite a, some good climbers in there. So, yeah, going back to it, Matt Heyman was saying from about basically once the breakaway sort of formed, we were thinking I need to go early, I need to go early here and make a smaller group because this is too big so yeah i think from about 90k to go matt Heyman was already telling me to to attack and i'm looking down like matty it's still 90k to go mate <laughs> um it's been a brutally hard day already it's freaking hot and i don't really know what's coming up but i know there's a lot of climbs not just the final one but also before there was a few cat twos and cat threes uh, along that way too so that definitely didn't uh, help my confidence going too early. But um, yeah, there was a stretch actually over over one of the Cat 3s. The American from Trek, what's what's his name? Strong guy, strong guy. And he, he attacks over the climb. Oh, not Quinn Simmons. Quinn Simmons, exactly. I shouldn't forget his name because I saw him so many times on this tour. <laughs> and uh, he's attacked over the climb, which sort of... Yeah, disrupted the chase at the the breakaway a little bit, which was good for me actually, because everyone sort of started looking at each other. Teams weren't really working well together anymore. And then it was only a couple of k after that. I saw a moment where the the breakaway balked. Yeah, I hit him on this sort of rolly rolly road that had like hundred meter kickers, but just continuously rolling over. And it was really zapping the legs a lot. That's roads like I have in Canberra, so I knew that was where I could really make my difference. Now you said that, I remember like I'd completely forgot about the middle part of the stage, but we heard on the radio that you had gone like so. You were alone for 
a bit, weren't you? And then a couple of guys came to you. Is that right? Yeah, I I attacked and I was doing an individual solo and I looked down at the <laughs> still like 65k to go. I was like, yeah. please someone come across <laughs> to me and help me here. Come on, I heard that on the radio. I was like, what an absolute lunatic! <laughs> <laughs> like, what is he doing? <laughs> but like, uh, when Matt says something like that on the radio, then are you do you question it at all? Or you're just like, right, okay, yeah, okay, like because. You know what it's like, you know, when you're suffering a little bit, you can just doubt everything, can't you? And think, oh, no, I can't do that, like my legs or whatever. Do you just think, right, sod it, I'm going to just go, just see what happens? Well, it's actually quite a funny story, actually, because my wife is very involved in my cycling, and she's been telling me to do this for countless amounts of years, really? to do this sort of move. And she actually said to me in this tour, you need to try something different. You need to go early. You need to just race like you used to as a kid. And when Matt Heyman said to that me and said that to me in the radio that that's what we could do in today. I guess I had time to really think about it and process it because he told me so early in the stage. And then I, yeah, my legs were super good on the day. So that was definitely helpful. Uh, otherwise maybe I wouldn't have gone, gone so early, but yeah, when I attacked, I was thinking, I actually feel quite good. I don't know if I can go all the way to the line solo, but I feel quite good. So I could see behind me that, they were sort of attacking, stopping, attacking, stopping, which helped me to get a bit more of a gap. I think I was, yeah, maybe 10K solo before uh, the group of four, three or four came yeah. across to me. Three, I think. Three, Another three guys who were a group of four in, in the end, yeah. I think the good thing going early like that as well is, that, you know, if you're one of the favorites in that group and you're you're basically thinking about the last climb and you're thinking, well, I can do this now. You know, everyone, if everyone's working relatively well, the odd attack, but it's still relatively in control. You're just thinking, right, saving yourself, you know, eating, drinking, get to that final climb and then unleash and win. So for that to happen, you know, someone to go super early like that, especially a strong guy and for sure mentally that would crack or not crack, but it's throw some people off a bit, be like, oh shit, like what's going on here? Like how, that's just somebody wouldn't expect, you know, like it, someone to go away, 60 okay to go and the group to suddenly be properly carnage behind. So good move, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah thank you. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, yeah. like I said, you've got to find that moment and everyone has to a little bit hesitate behind. You know how racing is. It's uh, it's a little bit luck, but you obviously got to have the legs to also be able to do it and also to be able to just lay it on the line and just see what happens. I mean, I've always been quite scared to do that because I'm always considered to, to wait for the sprint and I think that's what actually helped me in that situation was no one expected it. Yeah. yeah. Um, it caught everyone a little bit by surprise and... I think everyone was thinking I'll wait for the final climb or try and get over with the guys and, and try and beat them in that little sprint that they that it would have been in the finish. So I think that actually worked to my advantage in this stage. So how about that final climb then? What were you thinking? Like, just going to TT up this even if they... Because was it Betiol? Betiol was at the top, yeah. Well, actually, sort of working back, I to Tour of Swiss because I was going for that points jersey when you were going for the overall... I think you you remember the stage where I continued to attack the second last stage and I think everyone's getting quite angry at me <laughs> when the breakaway was gone and I was like I just wanted to be in that breakaway just get the points jersey and no one really thought no one really knew what I was doing like can you just stop attacking like the break's gone it's a mountain stage where are you going and I think all that work that I did in Swiss actually helped me in the tour in the end to to be able to do what I did in that in that stage and um, just before you carry on did Luke have a word with you there because I remember yeah because I was like a lot of people did <laughs> <laughs> I was like GC whatever so I was leaving it to the boys and I was just floating around so I was kind of okay but I could just see like they were constantly going and going and then afterwards he was uh, Luke said he was like oh, I just have to ask Bling I was like Bling what? 
like when you asked Van Aert like what he, they wanted, he was like, "What are you doing, mate? <laughs> <laughs> Where are you going?" Because obviously Luke was getting tired, obviously, and yeah. But um, it's funny the conversations you can have at like 50k an hour when you're breathing out your ass. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a really hard start to the stage too. That stage in Swiss, I mean, it was constantly rolling, Super fast, yeah. yeah, through little towns and stuff, like getting lined out and coming back together. And I just knew if I wanted to go for the points jersey, I needed to be in that breakaway. I needed to get those those uh, two intermediate sprints. So it was basically all or nothing to be in that breakaway and a lot of people came up to me and said what are you doing i said i'm just racing can you just let me race and they just kept following me and i just kept attacking 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 and i understand for for you guys as the leaders uh other teams that want to try and have an easier easier stage and then race the final i've been professional for a long time i mean if i was in your guys shoes i also would have been quite frustrated but me as a non-gc rider non-climber trying to go into a breakaway guys are going to follow me, I guess, which also makes it harder for you guys because you got to continue racing. I understand that. Um, but I think once everyone sort of knew what I was up to, the problem was the breakaway was already two minutes up the road by that point. So <laughs> I think they just thought it was a death a death uh, mission to try and get across there. But yeah, I managed to make you it. You did it though, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I'm not really sure how. I was dangling there for quite a while. And actually, I think the point where I got across was actually they went, went up a hill. And that slowed them down a little bit because on the flat, 10 guys hopping through, yeah. obviously going to ride faster than me. But it, when it comes to a climb, I think it's a bit more men on men rather than uh, 10 men on, on one. So, yeah, going back to the tour, I think, yeah, no one no one expected that. And uh, that final climb, I think it was the climb before I, I tried to ride a good tempo on the front just so no one would, yeah, get get over me or attack me or ride their tempo. So I, I tried to just save myself as much as I could. And ride my tempo and then uh, actually one of the lotto sedal guys uh, one of the young danish riders he got a f- front flat on the descent coming into the final climb so it was just me sanchez and uh Aust- was austrian national champ from from last year i know people from their jerseys i'm really bad at names <laughs> it'll come back so we're going down this long descent you would remember it it was like a highway descent coming yeah. down into the f- uh the final climb I was actually thinking, "Whoa, I'm pretty tired here. Like, I've done this big, this big effort. These guys have sat on and ridden across to me." And um, we got to the bottom of the final climb, and I remember Matt Heyman just saying on the radio, "Mate, you just ride as fast as you can from bottom to top of this climb. Don't it's think about it, anything." Seem quite else. basic instructions from Matthias. <laughs> it does, but I think when it's been such a hard day, you don't need you don't need anything too 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 detailed or too crazy because you're already dead anyway you know so it's probably less is more in that situation and quite stressful like like G was saying the climb is covered in people and this year they painted the road yellow from bottom to top which was <laughs> like like G said a little bit slippery but yeah i think i just i just rode as fast as i could from bottom to top and when Betiel came across it was a little bit nerve-wracking. Like I thought, from that moment, I turned around when I was when I was going away from Sanchez and the other fellow that will come back to us. I thought I actually won. I thought I was going to win at that point, just ride solo to the finish. I was like super confident, really. Like, wow, this is incredible. You know, like crowd screaming. Got this moment in my career that's like game-changing. You know, like for a sprinter, this doesn't happen. You know, like winning a stage solo in the Tour de France, and then yeah, Betiel came across. At that point where he where he rides away from you. Because elite riding is all about numbers. It's a science game. So I just wondered what your motivation was. Because when he went, it looked like he dropped you. 
and there seemed to be a moment where you just had to decide what you were going to do and what you had left. So at that point, what keep what keeps you going? Well, yeah. Well, when he did catch me, I was thinking, oh no. But I remember Heyman saying on to the on, to me on the radio that at the bottom they were forty seconds behind me. So I was sort of doing some sort of calculation in my head, thinking, I know what power I've done. I've been looking at it from bottom to top, and it's some of my best power I've ever done. I mean, I think the crowd and everything really makes you dig that extra bit deeper than you, you think you can. You'd know the feeling, I guess, when you won that stage in Abduez when you won the tour. Yeah, yeah. That was, must have been an impressive feeling. Um, but yeah, I think when he, when he came across and it was on my wheel, he didn't go straight away which was for me good because I knew how much of an effort he did to get across to me. So that helped me a little bit my confidence. And yeah, he weighed a little bit, which gave me a little bit of time. So I also backed off a little bit myself to save a bit of energy because I knew the attack was coming. I mean, I was thinking he wasn't going to take me to a sprint, so he's going to go in a minute. And I expected it, which also helped. But when he started to ride away, I was definitely very worried. I think Heyman was talking to me on the radio, but he didn't actually know what was happening. He kept saying like 20 seconds, 20 seconds and you win the stage, 20 seconds and you win the stage. I'm thinking, what is he talking about? I mean, the guy is just there. He's definitely not 20 seconds in front of me. And I know I'm still at like, was it around like a K and a half to go when Bertiel attacked? So I also know that's not 20 seconds to the top. So I mean, uh, but anyway, whatever he said, it helped. Just hearing someone's voice in my head like, especially Heyman's, like, we go back a long way. He's also from Canberra, where I'm from. I remember him coming back to Canberra and doing uh, training rides with us when he was at Rowerbank, uh, when I was still junior. And so having him as my as my DS in that stage was, was really special. But, yeah, I think when Betiol was riding away, it was uh, really a mental game. I think the your legs, your your energy is, is gone. It's, it just comes down to the head in that point. And going back to what I was saying about the two stages where I was second, I was just thinking, I can't be second again. My daughter, the thought of her crying again after the stage and having to listen to her cry will be the, yeah, the worst thing that I could ever imagine. So I had her face, her voice in my head in that moment, and I think that's what really, really dragged me back. That's so cool that that happens. I, I don't know if that's happened to you, Jeep, thinking about Max and Saar. But it's from the outside, I love the fact that, okay, yeah, cycling is about numbers and power and everything else, but fundamentally you can win a stage thinking about people you love. Yeah, to be honest, I don't want this to sound bad for Sarah now, but I've never actually thought of a... Um, <laughs> it does sound a little bit bad. <laughs> but I did at first, you know, when I started like seeing her, when we started dating, courting, however you want to say yeah. it. Um, I was doing Tour of Britain, it must have been 2009, I remember I was in the breakaway then and I was thinking then like I wonder if she's watching today and I was like on the front you know and then I punctured and suddenly went backwards and I was thinking <laughs> shit <laughs> no but like yeah you do get a lot of ins- like for me it's kind of I guess more before so like since having Max it's like right whenever I'm away now I'm like I'm gonna make this productive you know I'm gonna make this worthwhile like you know I'm going out on my bike for six hours today I know exactly why I'm gonna do this and make the most of it and then training camp's the same and then when you're racing it definitely is in the back of your mind actually now you say it but um the one time though, I remember like a DS or a, yeah talking to me on the radio when I was gonna win the stage was Rod Ellenworth back in like 2005 maybe like it was flesh to suit I wasn't a pro and I remember attacking up this last little climb and Rod's like come on Jesus as well all that hard work's been been focused we had this big camp before it and this was like a bit of a target for us 
know, make it all worthwhile and blah, 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 that type of thing. And it might sound a bit cheesy now when you're just sat here having a coffee at a beach, but when you're knee deep in it and like after all those hard yards, you're like, oh yeah, actually, yeah, this is, it really like just spurs you on. And for sure, like if Max had been in a similar boat to, to Bling's daughter, you know, like I'm not angry, dad, I'm just disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> like it, for sure, that would be a massive sort of inspiration and, and give you that impetus really, yeah. So on that climb, Michael, when you have caught back up to Betiol, were you always going to ride past him? Was there any thought about sitting on his wheel and recovering? Because you're pretty close to the top of the climb at that point. Yeah, there was a thousand things going through my head when I started catching him, thinking, okay, I'm back in the game now, which is uh, incredible. It was a very special feeling, I must say. I haven't felt like that. To have a crowd cheering at you like, cheering at you like that after the stage you've, done, you've been through, it was it was magic. I mean, when I when I felt the feeling that I was coming back to him, and then uh, to be able to get back to his wheel, I was already like over the moon. But then I came back to him with such speed, and I was like, okay, either he's slowed down or he's 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 done. He's he's really uh, shot all these bullets. So it was more just like, oh wow, I'm coming at him, and then I just used that momentum that I that I had coming back to the wheel, and I think. Just use use the course, use the use the speed that I had, and yeah, the the motivation that I had to come back to him just to continue over the top. Which, yeah, everyone says we would have thought you would have waited for a sprint with him, but yeah, it was just I wasn't thinking; I was just racing out of instinct. And I think that's what's happened to me a lot in my career these last couple of years. Is just I've been thinking too much instead of just racing off that natural instinct that you get as a kid when you're when you're riding, just going back to that, like, I don't care what happens, I'm just going to race my bike. And after the finish line, then you can think about it, but not think about it in the moment. I think that's when you get your best best wins is when you just race off your instinct. And when I went over him and sort of continued my attack and turned around to see if he was there or not, and he wasn't there, that was, yeah, the most special feeling, knowing that I was riding away after... Uh, a sort of low point of my stage where he was riding away from me then a couple of minutes later I was riding away from him so it was really crazy emotions in such a short period of time to um, thinking that it was going to be second again to then riding away to a solo victory I think that was the best part of that win as well those last 200 meters when you're there solo you know you've won you're just giving everything to the crowd you know like I don't know any celebrations you did must have done five different celebrations <laughs> but uh, that's just yeah because winning any bike race is great but to be able to just enjoy it like that, those last couple of 10 seconds, that's special, like extra special, isn't it, almost? Yeah, I think for me as a rider or for sprinters in general, normally it's a throw to the line, you know, and maybe you put your hands up, maybe you don't. You don't even know if you've won or not normally in the in my situation. So to really enjoy that last kilometer um, where we had a nice downhill, which uh, could <laughs> catch my breath a little bit. And then coming around those last two corners, I think you can see if you've if you've watched the finish, I'm sort of shaking my head like, what just happened? I mean, this this is cycling. This is the, what uh, this is what we do it for to to have these highs and lows in cycling and really enjoy these high moments. And yeah, I think when I was coming down the finish straight, I had so much time because it was just I think the last corner was like 400 meters to go. So from there, I sort of knew when I turned around, Betiol wasn't there anymore, and I knew that I had it. So like looking at the finish line way up in the distance and just being like, okay, what do I do now? Do I 
ride all the way to the finish or do I soak this up and in, enjoy every moment because you don't know when the next one's going to come. So I just sat up and in, enjoyed every moment. I mean, everyone has mixed feelings about my salute, but what's yours? Very spontaneous. More of like a sort of... How would you Yours is quite a footballer goal scoring celebration, I think. Yeah, like you're up like there one. Up my side, kind of fist. Double fist bump. Yeah. yeah. Bit of a roar, bit of a rah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Woo! But how do you feel about my one? Good, mate. Yeah. You just like, whatever comes naturally, innit? Yeah. I I, I'm not in the position really to think about different celebrations because. As we know, it takes me 100 odd days to win a, another bike race, you know? It was 103 or something, wasn't it? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> uh, just a one geeky question for me. You don't have to tell us the exact number, but what sort of power did you do for that, those, those 10 minutes? I think it was 489 watts Jeepers. average. Because I did my best ever 10-minute power that day as well. My previous best was on the same climb when I won the tour. But when I did it that time, I had more in reserve, you know, I was just following and doing it. Whereas this year, I was absolutely on the limit, like full gas, like trying to hold Yates' wheel and uh, I did one one watt more than my previous best. I did four six one, so it's quite a big old difference. That like nearly thirty odd watts. Like fair play. But my normalized was a little bit higher. I can't exactly remember, but I think it was around just just over five hundred. For that's, that's that's big, Tom. My final question, Michael. I want to know what you said to your daughter when you phoned her that evening. What she said to you. Oh, that's another funny story. I mean, if I ever, if I write a book after my career, I think uh, these stories have to be in it. But. Anyway, I crossed the finish line and the first thing I want to do is have my phone and call my wife and my daughter and because they're my they're my everything, you know. I mean, the fame and everything, interviews and whatever, it's nice, but my phone is what I wanted. So I said to my Swanee, I, I need my phone. Anyway, didn't get it, didn't get it. The bus leaves and I'm thinking, okay, where's my phone? I want my phone. Bus is left to the hotel. I think it was, I think it was one of the longest transfers after the stage. Oh, it was a long one, yeah. It was, it was... It ended up being an hour and a half in a car with a with a police convoy for me. So I can't imagine how long it was for the bus. So anyway, I'm doing doing the podium, doing the interviews, everything, doping control, press conference, blah, blah, blah. So it was around around two hours after the stage before I leave. So I'm thinking, okay, I've, now I've got my trolley. Now I've got all my stuff. Where's my phone? Oh, your phone must be in the bus. So I'm thinking, okay, I've just lost two hours. I said to the, I said to my Swanee, like, how how long is the hotel? And he's looked at the, he's looked at the map, and it was an hour and a half. I'm thinking, oh no, that's three and a half hours after the stage. I'm not going to be able to talk to my family. <laughs> so we had this police convoy smashing through traffic. I think it was me and Vingegaard in in our in our cars in the convoy going to the hotel. And I didn't shower. I was still in my t- still in my kit. Okay, I got changed for the podium. But still in cycling kit after that long stage, I think it was close to close to six hours almost on on the bike, and plus the plus the two hours of the podium. And I'm thinking, just I was saying to the Swanee, just drive as fast as you can. I mean, I'm sitting here sweating. I think we had this. It's called a VIP van uh, for for the podium. I think you guys have one in in Ineos too, like a nice big seat, everything like really cool. But for some reason, the air conditioning wasn't working. So I'm sweating. It's 40-something degrees outside after that long day. I'm sitting in the back sweating, no phone to play with, no, nothing to be able to talk to my family, nothing. I mean, my Swanee said I can call off his phone, but you always want your own phone. So anyway, it was this, this that hour and a half drive felt like six hours. I was just like counting down every second, every, every kilometer. 
And the first thing I did once I got out of the car was run to the bus and grab my phone and call with my, my family. And actually, my wife and my daughter were with her mum and dad in, in Slovakia watching the stage. And uh, so they were all having a glass of champagne in their hand, doing uh, cheers, celebrating. Everyone was crying. I mean, it was it was not just my win. It was a win for all of us because we all invest so much into my career. My, my wife, my daughter, her family help help a lot with us. So it was really a win for all of us. And I think it was a lot of tears, but also, yeah, everyone was just very happy. But it wasn't just a win. Like they, I won the way they all see me to win. So I think... There was so much going on in that in that moment that it was uh, very very emotional. Yeah, at least you got to have that because this shows the glamour of winning, doesn't it? Like you know, you're at the podium, like that's obviously good and that you kind of enjoy that. But you get in the VIP car that with no air conditioning, no phone, and you're just like, oh man, you know, I just want to like speak to my loved ones, you know, and like really enjoy this. But yeah, it's always the same, something like that, or rushing off to the airport to get your flight or whatever because it's a one day race or whatever. So. Yeah, it's, it's never quite what you picture, is it, the, the winning part, but it's still special for sure. Well, cheers, thanks. I feel like I'm, I'm going to go out and do a bike ride now after that chat. Get out and beat Tom or something. That's not a proper contest. <laughs> I think you need a better contest. <laughs> but no, I appreciate you coming. It's great to have you on the pod and uh, yeah, keep listening. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me, boys. I really enjoyed it. I think mean, sitting down here on this beach, having a nice coffee and a croissant. I mean, what is it? Wednesday morning? Nine o'clock. I mean, Can't perfect beat it. day. Perfect day. Thanks for having me. Tom, we've got a new sponsor for season three, and I think we're all going to benefit from this one. Yeah, we know how much you all love coffee, especially on a bike ride. So we've only gone and partnered up with Origin Coffee. Not only that, but we've got you a very chunky discount too. Not a bad start to the season from our chairperson. Yeah, gee, I'm on it from the word go, you know that. A little bit about Origin Coffee then. So they're pioneers in sourcing and roasting some of the highest quality specialty coffee on the market today. In fact, they launch a new coffee every week. Right, so how are we getting our hands on this to taste then, G? Well, I've already done that for you. I've tried Resolute. I would describe it as chocolate, stone fruit, bit of caramel. Have you just read that off the label? Yeah. But I did choose it because it's no nonsense. It's just a classic, proper coffee, you know? If you want to try Origin Coffee, just like G, you can get 30% off all coffee and pods by going to origincoffee.co.uk and using the code GTCC30 at checkout. All online orders are roasted and shipped the same day and they have a rewards program so customers can earn points and get cash back every time they shop online. That's code GTCC30 at checkout. Go and get yours today. Enjoy. Tom, Zwift are back for their third season sponsoring the GTCC. Which means our Wednesday 6pm group rides continue. Exactly. Just hop on your trainer, open up the Zwift app and join the group ride. You get to ride alongside us, all our club members and wear the in-game GTCC jersey. And if you're new to Zwift, just go to Zwift.com to start your free trial today. During this season of the pod, we're going to be walking you through all the new stuff we've been trying out on the app. Just think of us as your testing team. So Chairman Tom, what have you been trying this week? This week, G, I want to tell you all about Zwift's pro training camps. They're kicking off at the end of November and running all the way through December. Perfect for some winter and pre-Christmas training. Now, these aren't training camps for pros. 
there for training like a pro. Basically, me trying out what you do in training. But listen, don't be intimidated, anyone. The difficulty, as always with Zwift, is scaled to each individual's own fitness via their FTP. Yeah, I've actually got my own workout on there as well, Tom. You just need to head over to the workout library and ride the sessions at any time on your own or even as a group workout. Maybe next year you'll give me a bit more of a challenge up the Madone then. I'm coming for you, G. I have also heard today's guest, Michael Matthews, has one though, so maybe I'll give his one a go first, work on my speed and my climbing. If any of our GTCC members fancy trying out pro training camps, then just sign up from the 14th of November and start the workouts from the 21st of November. Let me know which ones you're gonna have a go at. Enjoy. Right, Tom, time for any other business now. And I've actually got something for you this week to start us off. So it will be my long awaited return to the GTCC group rides on Zwift, which will be happening this Wednesday, the 9th of November. I'll be leading at 6 p.m. UK time. So this is just a shout out really for anyone listening now to jump on your turbos and come and join me. And don't forget, bring your best dad jokes. Nice. We've also had an amazing group of very dedicated GTCC members leading these rides over the summer and also on the weeks that G and me can't make it. If you fancy putting your hand up and giving this a go, just drop us a message on the Facebook group or email us at gtcc at crowdnetwork.co.uk. Okay, next item. We have had G a lovely message in from Charlotte about our episode with Eleanor Barker. Charlotte says, Hi G and Tom, just wanted to say what a great episode it was with Eleanor. As a newish mum, I can't tell you how inspirational it is to listen to the likes of Eleanor, Lizzie Dynam and Jess Ennis-Hill to name a few. Yeah, they're professional athletes and conditioned a way that us hobby fitness enthusiasts aren't, but I can't stress enough the effect that carrying and birthing a baby has on your core. I ran until 35 weeks and naively thought I'd bounce straight back. I went for my first run when baby Bonnie was seven weeks old and I had to turn back as my body felt like jelly. Anyway, less about me, I just wanted to highlight how impressive it is to see these women back in the saddle and lacing up their running shoes and showing what the female body is capable of. A true inspiration. Well, that's very nice to hear, eh, Tom? Yeah, and it was nice to do that pod with Eleanor about that, wasn't it? Because sometimes when we chat to people, we can chat them about all manner of things. But it was something that was clearly still the most important thing in Eleanor's life. And it was so impressive how she had found all those little workarounds, wasn't it? Yeah, for sure. And just when Charlotte said about her body feeling like jelly, I can kind of relate to that at the minute. <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, it was, it was great to have Eleanor on. And it's just, it's different again, isn't it? Just keep, uh, keep the listeners guessing about what we're going to talk about, Tom. That is the thing. We have also, G, had plenty of people getting in touch in support of you getting running this winter, talking about jelly and blancmange around the hips. Jim Dwyer says, I find running helps my cycling a massive amount. The intensity of my aerobic limit is always pushed further by running hard over riding hard. He says, I think it would aid G's performance and bone density. Good point, Jim. Next season, a Valverde-style renaissance coming soon to a tour near you. Um... I'm not sure you necessarily want a Valverde-style renaissance, bearing in mind all he did. But any running plans, G? Because it's still only a number of weeks since your humiliation on the streets <laughs> of Monaco. I think that's the last time I ran, actually. So I need to do it, though. I'm definitely going to do it. It's just, once I start back now, you know, there's no point running with a hangover, is there? Flogging a dead horse. <laughs> so once I get back riding now, I'll, I'll start the odd run. So 
Okay, watch this space, Jim. We'll see you next time. See you next week. That was the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Thanks to club secretary Louise Gwilliam, heads of music Emma Hickman and Frank Beecher, head of social Archie Biltcliffe, and our honorary president Mike Carr. But most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next time. Ciao, ciao. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. <laughs>